you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Morning. I think, is my mic? Okay, my mic is good. Um, hi, I'm Michael. You may be wondering who I am or why I'm preaching. Um, the first question of who I am is I'm Michael. I'm Sarah's husband. Um, I'm a Tennessee fan as well, but uh, I hail from Alcoa, Tennessee, which is where Randall Cobb graduated high school. So we have Kentucky roots and we aren't very good recruiters. Um, hi, William. Um, so yes, that's where I'm from. Uh, I'm also a member of the church. We've been coming here since COVID was a thing. Uh, our first Sunday we, that we were going to come visit was actually the first Sunday that we could not come visit. So we've been coming here for about that long. I'm usually in the back with Davey. Uh, why I'm preaching today, I think, is a good question worth thinking about. And it's because I'm a member of the church, and I think that my experience adds value, I think, to the body of God, just like yours does. We all have experience. We all have things that we do in our lives that teach us about God, whether it be going to school or going to the gym or going to work or whatever. And I think it's important that we share that experience with each other, whether it be through preaching. It doesn't have to be because it's kind of terrifying, right? It can be through engaging with other people, through the workplace, through talking to friends at school or science camp or whatever. But I think it's important that we share our experience of God with other people so that we, we can build others up and build ourselves up as well. So the experience that I come from is I'm a, a therapist at a sober living house, an outpatient office. Uh, Chad mentioned spiritual dads and adoptive dads and birth dads. I am a dog dad, and so I have little Lily back home that would be excited to see me. Um, and yes, that's who I am. I love to be outside. So I'll use my voice today to talk about David and Goliath. I'm assuming you've all heard this story. Yes, most people have heard of David and Goliath. I don't know that I'll add anything new um, to this story, but I think it's a good story to remember and to think about. And before we get into it, it's really easy, I think, when we see this story um, I also talk fast, so if I start going too quickly, then just please have the courage to just do this. Um, I can't promise that I'll slow down, but I can promise that I'll try. Yes, so I, I breathe, right? Um, yeah, I can tell stories. So, but today is about David and Goliath. Yes, we've all heard the story, um, and it's important as we go through this story that we try to remember what it's like to have like a Monday lens, right? When we're here on Sunday morning, at least for me, it's really easy for me to know where this is going, right? To know that I should see the world as David does, right? I shouldn't respect all the things that Goliath had. Instead, I should respect the things that David had, and I know how it ends. But on Monday or Tuesday when I go to work, it's a lot harder to see things like David does, right? It's a lot more easy to see things as a Goliath or even Israel, where I become afraid of the various things that happen throughout my life, whether it be at work or at home. And I slip back into that old way of viewing things. And so I'll try to help as I go through this, do examples and stories and what have you, but keep that in mind as we go through it and try to think about how this may look as we go through our lives and as we transition from a Sunday kind of mindset to more of a daily Monday through Friday kind of mindset. And so the question this story, at least that I see, um, is, is that of what makes a good king for Israel? Chad went through the context last week, and we've actually done a really good job of reading and throughout the children's sermon of going through it. So I'm not going to spend too much time on context. But that seems to be the question that the author of Samuel is, 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 is answering. And he does it 
through almost like an object lesson. So today, Sarah read a story in this Jesus story book Bible, and Phil Vischer does a great job, I think he's the one that wrote it, um, of telling a story in a particular way to teach a message, right? So Sarah does that in the children's sermon, Brad does it, right? And he talks really loudly, and he switches into overalls very quickly, right? And he tells a very good story to make a message. And so when we look at this story, I think it's important to notice how it was written, because it was written on purpose. The author wrote it the way he did to, to tell a message. And the message, at least the way I'm reading it, is, is what made David a good leader. What set David apart. And so to do that, he compares three different characters that I'm seeing. And me and Sarah kind of coordinated, but not really, about the three characters in the story. But the ones that I see are David, Goliath, and Israel. Yes? And I think as we read it, the, the character, at least for me, that I relate to the most is Israel. I sure hope I'm not Goliath, right? I don't think I'm going out and killing Christians or trying to hurt people or actively working against God. I don't think I'm David, right? I come with power. David represents this person without power, this guy that had nothing and kind of came with some rocks, right? That's not me. I'm Israel. At least I think I am. I'm somebody that lives my life daily. I'm one of God's people, but I'm just living life, doing my best to understand what God's will is and to follow it. And so as we read this, we don't have to be the Israel that's like terrified and frozen and tries to make David do silly things, right? We don't have to be that character, but we can. So as we read it, I think it's important that we put ourselves in Israel's shoes, as, as Sarah did in the children's sermon, think about how that might feel and the things that might lead us to, to, in a direction that Israel can be in as well. All right, so that's that. So in the story, yes, the, the, the story starts out, and I think the author compares the three different characters, right? So at first we have Goliath. Goliath is a big dude. It's the, I think in the, in the Bible, it's the last time that the word giant is used. So Goliath is a big dude, but even more important to the author than his bigness is his things, right? The author spends like a gajillion verses on his armor. He has more armor probably that's heavier than me in how he carries it around. Thick bronze, right? A big old spear with like a 15-pound head. He is a big dude. And everything about Goliath is impressive. This is like... In modern terms, in like football, how we know that a football team is good is by their pedigree, right? And so everyone knows that Alabama is by far right now the most intimidating football team, right? They're good. How do we know they're good? Because they have a fearsome reputation, right? They have a good coach. That's what makes them good, right? They have a record. They have the best recruits. They beat Tennessee into the ground every year, right? This is what happens. Alabama's good, and we know that by how they look. Goliath is the same way. I warned Davey I was loud, sorry. I used to preach to old people that couldn't hear me, and so I, I talk loudly. Um, <laughs> Goliath has everything that we think is big, right? Goliath is big. Um, when we look at it in the world lens, I think it's important. This is what Israel viewed as strong. This is what Israeli culture or even ancient Near East culture viewed as strong. Big armor. He had a shield bearer next to him, which is basically like a disposable life that you can just give away, right? He had everything that made him strong. And so, of course, when Israel looked at them, they saw somebody they should be intimidated by because this is how the world viewed strength. David, on the other hand, is the opposite. If you like literature, David's wife is going to, to teach literature at her next college. If you like literature, this is a juxtaposition. It's where you compare two different things in a story, whether people or whatever, to highlight their difference. And so where David is, or where Goliath is wearing all kinds of armor, David is, is not wearing any, Right? Goliath has his big spear. David has some rocks, right? This, they highlight their difference. And so whereas Goliath had everything that the world would consider strong, David was wearing nothing. No armor, no anything. What David did have, of course, was a relationship with God. And we know where the story's going, right? 
but the author was doing that on purpose as we think about what makes a good king. And then there's Israel. Israel, at this point of the story, i got to look at my notes. Israel, at this point of the story, um, isn't doing a whole lot, right? But what represents them is their fear. That's Saul's representation, that's, that's Israel's, that's what, the, that's what uh, the, the kids and the children's sermon recognized so well, right? They were just afraid. I think Phil Vischer said they were trembling. They were so scared of what might happen that they were frozen in, in inaction. And when I think of why, and we'll go into this more, I think, is because they, they, they viewed strength as that of Goliath and not of that of David, right? They respected the world's view of strength, and they had forgotten that real strength came from a source like David's. So as we put ourselves in this story, it's really easy for me to do that as well. I can preach this sermon and, of course, pray and do all the things and know that strength looks like David. When I go to work on Sunday morning or Monday or Tuesday, right, I'm much more inclined to respect people that, that look like they have strength, right, that have the markers that our culture looks for for strength, right? Money, social skills, good look, right, head full of hair, yes? All the things that look like strength. And so watch for that, right? Because Israel was so caught up that they, they looked at Goliath and that view of strength led to them being afraid because they didn't have it and it froze them. Versus David had a relationship with God and of course that led him to, to face it. So that's how they looked, yes? Now how do they act? I think the author compares them the same way. Goliath acted very arrogantly, very proudly, right? He was very confident. It's not hard to see that. He challenged Israel. He, he said, it's all me. I'm strong. I can do this. Forget your God. I can beat him, right? He's very defiant. He's so proud and so arrogant that when David, and somebody pointed out, right, when David comes up, he's like, who is this scum, right? He was so small, Goliath was almost insulted that he even had to face him because he was that strong and that much better. Goliath was so focused on himself that he didn't respect anybody, didn't love anybody. He was, he was so much me-focused that anything else was almost a distraction. And we can read the story and think that we're never like Goliath, Right? But how many times, at least for me, that I've like not wanted to talk to somebody because they looked weird, right? Or I don't want to engage in a conversation because it's never fun, right? Or I don't want to have somebody over to the house because I don't know how it's going to go, right? I want to be, I want, it's my tendency, at least when I slip back into this world mindset, is to want to be with people who are like me, right? Because I have this weird view of myself or something like that. When really, that's kind of what got Goliath where he was. That's how Goliath acts. Of course, they're going to do the opposite. So David, on the other hand, really wasn't concerned with himself at all. This is a boundary battle, so David probably had no idea anything about what kind of boundary dispute this was. He just showed up to bring his brother some food and got mad that someone was insulting God. The reason why David went to fight was to defend God's name. It was really nothing else. At least it doesn't seem like. And it wasn't necessarily based on the fight either. He didn't go in concerned about the armor. He didn't go in concerned about anything as much as defending God's name. And so Goliath, self-centered. David, uh, God-centered. And then you have Israel. And Israel is so caught up in fear that they, um, that they get mad at David for thinking differently than they do. Right? And this is what the response is. If our lives don't make sense, if someone's life doesn't make sense without God, and we're caught in that fear, that we can almost want to bring somebody back with us. You wanting to pray instead of taking action, right, is wrong. Be like me. Act out of fear, not out of love. We can almost take people with us and make them want to be like us. Because it's uncomfortable for people to do things that don't make sense. Um, we see this with Saul uh, trying to dress David in his armor, right? Saul just does what he thinks is best and he's really trying to help the guy. And he tries to put his armor on him because that's how Israel and Saul view strength. 
is through armor, right? And I think for me, at least, when I do this, when I, when I think of the guys that I work with in the recovery house, or even the kids that we have here, or the people that I talk to in my life, I'm so tempted to try to make people into images of me, right? You need to think like me. I've made this mistake. When really God is blessing people with great knowledge. I love the children's room. My goodness, I learn something every time we do it. God is blessing us with knowledge and with kids and with people that are doing things differently that we can learn from and grow from if we let them. I think to do so, it takes being a little bit more like David and being comfortable with not knowing what may happen and comfortable with, with it looking a little bit differently than where we are. So that was a look, right? So they, 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 they look differently, they acted differently, and of course, David wins. The battle doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the text compared to everything else. Um, I don't really think the author was too, compared, too, too worried about it. I think what the author was worried about is the fact that David won, right? David, of course, goes and he knocks uh, Goliath out and kills him, right? And the story's over and everybody goes home. The only thing I think we should look at here is that victory in this story looks really great. If I'm Israel um, and, and David kills him, then I'm pumped about that, right? But there's other times in David's life when victory didn't look very comfortable. There's other times in David's life when doing God's will meant not becoming king yet and staying out in the woods a lot longer than he wanted to. Um, for Jesus, we'll talk about it in communion, right? Victory looked like dying on a cross. That's not something that I particularly want to do, right? So as we look at this, keep that, uh, it's important to keep in mind on this memory piece, or on this victory piece that victory may not always look like what we want, but the fact that David trusted God meant that God's will was done. And I think as we go into what makes a good leader, what made a good, what made a good leader for Israel and, and what gives us the opportunity to be a good leader, I think wanting what God wants and being able to accept what God gives, I think allow David to act out of a place of love and not fear. And so that's the story. And so as we read this story, I think the author, once again, is trying to answer that question of what makes a good leader for Israel. It wasn't Goliath, of course, right? A good leader for Israel isn't acting against God. That's obvious, right? But it also isn't Israel. It's also not being so caught up in the world's way of viewing success and viewing strength and viewing victory that we are frozen by fear or or afraid to to rely on God, which is really where we see Israel. It looks like David. At least the way I'm reading it, it looks like living a life that's with God. Not against, not afraid, but with God. David living with God gave him the wisdom to know where that red line was. David got mad and David went to fight Goliath because he, was, because he spoke against God. He insulted God. And we listen for that, right? And at least for me, I think about where am I seeing God insulted? Or where am I seeing people question God? My life. I think for me, at least, I caught myself insulting God with the whole mask thing, right? If the church doesn't make people wear a mask, if we don't wear a mask, what's going to happen? when we come back, right? Is God going to allow the church to keep growing after a year off of COVID, right? I hear it, on, I hear it on, honestly, my Facebook. Um, I'm from East Tennessee, right? So I hear on my Facebook of if this political party wins or if this political party wins, then is God still going to win, right? Can the church survive these things? And in doing so, what we do is we put God's power, God's ability to work in our hands and not God's. David was able to listen for that and to hear that by Goliath saying that his armor was better than Israel's, he heard, God is not bigger than my armor. And so David got mad, right? David heard that, and David did something about it. He defended God's name. All right, so for David, defending God's name meant a lot like uh, throwing stones at the guy's head and killing him, right? I think in the New Testament, we see a different model for defending God's name. 
In the New Testament, through Christ, we see defending God's name looking like a lot of love. Loving one's enemy, turning the other cheek. And I wish I could give a specific example of how that looks, but it looks so different depending on the context. But I think when we look at what God may be telling us, when we live a life with God, God allows us to know what it looks like to defend his name. Maybe it looks like having somebody over for dinner. Maybe it looks like talking to that person. Maybe it looks like setting that boundary. But when we live a life with God, the discipline of things like prayer, community, talking to each other about it, right? Hearing Chad or somebody preach, sharing our experiences, being prayed for. It allows us to have an ear for what God might have us do to defend God's name. And finally, living with God allowed David to have the courage to rely on his past experience and remember what God had done. When I look at this story and what sets Israel apart from David, David remembered how God had acted in the past to defend him and give him courage, and Israel had forgotten. Israel wasn't remembering all the, I'm about to follow this stage, Israel hadn't remembered all the, uh, all, the, all the stories of God coming in time and time again to prove his faithfulness. Israel had forgotten. Whereas David remembered, right? David remembered the time that God protected him from that lion or that tiger, right? Remembering allowed David to have the courage. Living with God allowed David to remember and have courage to face the battle that he had to fight. So once again, for me, I can't speak for you, but for me, I think I got to remember. I got to remember how welcoming this has been. A new church, when we haven't been able to be in person for a year, right? Now faithful you guys have been. I think I remember this, I'll tell stories here in a little bit, but I remember those stories, yes, and that allows me to have courage. And I'm tempted here to go into a, like a little like three practical step thing about how to have, uh, how to live with God, right? But really, that's overly assumptuous. I don't know you guys that well enough to make those suggestions. And it's not that easy. And so instead, I think what we'll do is I'll ask a couple of questions and we'll be done. Um, what is it, what takes us into a place of fear and out of a place of love? And then I'll just tell you some stories in my life of when people have lived with God and it helped me. And so what takes us away from fear? I won't spend a lot of time there, but at least it looks like to me that what took Israel into more of a world way of viewing strength, what led them to respect Goliath, was they were, um, they were afraid. They were afraid of losing things that they had, whether it be power or land, or they didn't want to go out there. They couldn't accept the consequences of what God might give. And so they were, they were afraid. They did nothing. They had forgotten how God had blessed them in the past, and that moved them out, right? For me, I think when I go from a Sunday morning lens to a Monday morning lens, I forget how faithful God was at church or in my prayer life or with Sarah or with what have you. And I get so caught up in the moment that I turn to fear. So I think fear, fear of, fear of uh, not trusting God that we can accept or that we can benefit from what he gives us, then that's what takes us away and then what does it look like to live with God? And I'll tell a couple of stories, and then we'll go to communion. I couldn't get through Father's Day without talking about my dad um, and the way that he listened to God and saw stuff in me. So I was a baseball player when I was growing up, but I wasn't very good. Um, I could pitch, and I was a good pitcher as long as there wasn't any pressure. But as soon as there was pressure, I was not good. But if you ask my dad, you would never know it, right? Tennessee is in a College World Series today, and they play at 2 o'clock on ESPN2. And if you, his dad will compare me to the pitchers on Tennessee's baseball team for no reason, right? And that's silly, and, it's, and honestly, it gets on my nerves a little bit sometimes. What it did for me when I was growing up was dad, because he listened to God, saw me as for what I could become and not as I was, right? When we live a life with God, we're able to see people for as they can become. 
because we have an eye for how God sees them. Yes, and that's a silly example as to baseball, but it gave me strength. It gave me resiliency because I kept trying even though I wasn't good, right? It gave me a taste of failure, which was good for me, right? Second example that I have is a friend named Indy. Indy is a good friend of mine uh, from downtown Cincinnati. She's an African-American lady that has some negative experiences uh, with our justice system, some unjust experience with our justice system. We were friends and undergraduate, and I was coming from a place of not a lot of awareness, a lot of ignorance. And I wasn't actively racist or anything like that, right? I just didn't know. And so I would say things that were hurtful. And most of the times that I would say those things, I didn't, I didn't mean for them to be hurtful, and, and people would get defensive, rightly so. And a lot of times they would get to very emotional arguments or very uh, yelling matches or something like that that just wasn't very helpful. But what Indy did, Indy was different. Indy had the courage to allow me to experience the, the difficulty of what she was going through. She would, th- she would say things like, Michael, when you say X, Y, Z, that makes me feel this type of way. She opened herself up and was vulnerable. Vulnerable. And she showed me her emotions and opened that up. And that's scary, right? Whenever I tell someone how they hurt me, that's scary. I can take advantage of that. But because Indy listened to God and, was, and, uh, uh, and remembered, how, I guess, how our conversation had gone in the past and opened herself up and trusted that God would, would be with her through whatever my response was, she was able to share that with me. And I changed quite a lot. I grew a lot. Indy was able to challenge me and grow me because she was able to listen to God. The last example, and she's not here, so I guess I'll tell the story anyways, um, is this example from this church, Ruthie, right? Ruthie. Uh, took me and Sarah to dinner at, at one point a few weeks ago. And it's an example of, uh, i got to get the story in my head. She threw me off because she's not here. She's always here. Ruthie, uh, not long after Ed passed, Ruthie took me and Sarah to dinner. And the way she did it, right, it's not something that's necessarily fun. or is, That's hard. She was going through a very difficult time. But at least to me, y'all know Ruthie a lot better than I do, but it seems to me that Ruthie is very used to living a life with God. And it's made her holy. And she took us out and welcomed us in at a time when me and Sarah were both nervous about it. And she loved us well. It was a fun conversation, a very welcoming conversation. Um, And we grew from it. Ruthie living life with God allowed her to heal and to love and to know what God would have her do at a time that was pretty difficult for her. At least I think so. When you live a life with God, it shapes our hearts. At least I think it shapes our hearts into a place of love. And that love allows us to see what God would have us do, and it gives us the courage to do so. I think the best example of this is communion. I mean, Jesus lived a life. He was God, and he was always aware of what the Father would have him do. And in doing so, he died on a cross. Um, not, the, not my idea of a victory, but one that led to life and hope, and I'm sure glad he did because it gives me a lot of life. And so as we take communion today, I encourage you to think about that. Think about where in your week maybe um, you may be tempted to go back to that world's view. And remember to stay with God. See the world as God sees it and keep an ear out for what God might be saying, as David did when he brought his brother's lunch uh, in the story. All right, so I'll pray. We didn't actually plan this that well. I'll pray, and then Sarah will do communion, um, and then we'll go from there. God, thank you uh, for your spirit. Thank you that your spirit allows you to do this with us. And, and that your spirit works through us and, and, and shows us what you would have us do. God, I pray that we see things as you see them, that we don't let fear uh, take us away from seeing you, God, and that you bless us as we are aware, God, and that you give us guidance and that you allow us to see uh, the way you're working in the world and in that, God, that you give us hope. In your name we pray. Amen.